0: This morning, we are finishing a series that we started last September in the Gospel of Mark. The series is called Follow Me, and we are in uh, the, the very last section of that, chapter 16. So Stephanie's going to come and read Mark 16, verses 1 to 8 for us.
1: When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices, so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid.
0: Pray. Oh God, like those women we just heard about, we are here seeking Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see the empty tomb, that we might see the glory of the risen Christ. We pray that you would inform our minds and arrest our affections, our desires, our loves, our passions w- would be drawn to the beauty and praiseworthiness of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would greatly empower us to love him, follow him, and proclaim him in our world. For the glory of his name, I pray. Amen. How do you like stories with cliffhanger endings? I don't know about you, but I kind of like stories that end up all sort of neat and tidy, tie up all those loose ends. Agatha Christie murder mysteries are really good about doing that. But do you know, have you noticed that there are some stories that leave you with, well, sometimes more questions than answers. Often this is a setup for something, right? It's a setup for the sequel because you got to come back and watch the next movie or read the next book or watch the next series. They tell you enough to satisfy some of your curiosity, and then they leave you hoping for that next installment. And that's really what's happening here with the gospel of Mark. This is a strange ending to this gospel, to this good news story about Jesus. It ends in quite an unexpected way. This angel, this guy who's sitting there in the tomb is an angel, and he tells these three ladies that Jesus has risen, just as he said, but... Jesus isn't there. And instead of sort of Easter joy, they flee the tomb trembling and afraid. What kind of ending is this? It's a strange ending, it's an unexpected cliffhanger, and it invites a sequel. And I wonder if that's why there are some extra endings to this gospel floating around. If you notice in the margin of your Bible or in brackets after verse 8, there are a couple of other endings that appear in some of the manuscripts. Now scholars debate whether Mark intended to stop with verse 8 or not and We won't really know until we can go to heaven and ask Mark what his intention was. But the reality is is this. We can be confident that the Holy Spirit, who's the inspirer of scripture and the providential superintendent of God's word of the Bible. This is the ending that he intends for us to have. We can be confident in this. There are thousands of manuscripts of scripture and two of the oldest and most reliable going all the way back to the fourth century stop right here at verse eight, which is why our English standard version and most other versions do that as well. So that's where our story ends. These ladies fleeing in astonishment. But today's story begins with these dear women making their way. To Jesus' tomb. These are women who love Jesus. And they have come to cover his decaying body in spices. Not to preserve the body. But to simply cover the stench of decay. While that took place. So I want you to try to picture with me. These women walking to the tomb at sunrise on a Monday morning. There's grief in their hearts they have no expectation of resurrection at this point can you see this this is an all too familiar experience isn't it how many of us have walked this walk to a to a burial site at a cemetery into a room like this for a memorial service coming to pay our Respects to a loved one who's gone. You know, there's an old saying that there are only two certain things. Death and taxes. Heard a comedian say one time, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, we can't escape funerals, and we can't escape the reality of our own death coming sooner or later. But isn't there something in our hearts that wishes for funerals and grief and death to be gone? Isn't there a longing inside of us to find a way to escape death? I wonder if that's why people love stories about characters with superpowers that always find some way to survive. I wonder if that longing to escape death is one of the reasons why our culture so prizes looking young and being healthy even though we all know we're going to die sooner or later. I wonder if that's why I've heard people say, we just bought our forever house when they know it isn't their forever house. I hate death. I hate the grief and the loss and the tears and the separation that it leaves the living with. I hate death. I hate the way its icy fingers are climbing into my mom's living body through Parkinson's disease and robbing her slowly of her ability to walk. I hate the devastation of death in the images that I see of the burned over town of Lahaina in Hawaii. Or the bullet-riddled street corners that I see in Washington, D.C. or other cities? What if there was some way to escape death? These women arrive expecting to deal with a dead body. A mutilated and decaying corpse. That's what they've come to find. They have to deal with a stone first before they can get into that tomb. These tombs didn't have doors on hinges. They had stones that were like a disc that rolled back and forth. So it rolled one way to cover the doorway that was perhaps four feet high that you ducked through to get inside to this open chamber. And it rolled aside to, to 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 let you in so it was they came a monday morning expecting that stone to be covering the entrance to that tomb and they were surprised that it was rolled away and looking inside they were surprised again by this young man this this man sitting in a in a uh, in this robe and he is an angel which is implied by both the white robe but also his godlike knowledge of who they are why they've come where Jesus is and what's going to happen next. Now these ladies are alarmed as people usually are in the Bible when they see angels and angels are always saying don't be alarmed and people are always still being alarmed and they were alarmed. And then the angel says this, verse 6, look back in your Bibles there with me please. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. But see the place where they laid him. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Can you hear what he's saying to them? Look, look, this shelf he was there, but he's not there now. His body hasn't been stolen. You didn't come to the wrong tomb. Jesus is alive and he's gone back to Galilee. So round up the disciples, including Peter, who denied Jesus just a few days earlier, and go there and there you will meet with him. This is all going according to plan, exactly as Jesus said it would. And then here's the strange ending. They respond, not with smiles and joy, not with high fives and fist bumps, but with trembling and astonishment and silence driven by fear and i think mark is leaving us with this simple question the tomb is empty now what the tomb is empty o oh, reader o oh, hearer now what what are you going to do with that let's hold that question and we'll circle back to it later but i want to start with a question that we've learned to ask in all these messages that we've been doing over the last year or so as we've traveled through the Gospel of Mark. And this simple question is this. What does this passage teach us about Jesus? If you want to study the Gospels, just keep asking this question. What does this passage teach us about Jesus? So we're going to ask this question and I'm going to provide a few responses. But first we want to just note, Jesus isn't actually in the passage, is he? We don't see him and we don't hear from him. But who's the most important character in Mark 16, 1 to 8? It's Jesus. And what do we learn about Jesus? What, what is brought into our, uh, our gaze, brought before us about Jesus here? Well, first, simply, clearly, obviously this. He has risen. This is wonderful. Here is someone who has escaped Death. Jesus kept predicting that he would die and rise again, and he did. The fact of his resurrection is supported by the reality that as Mark is writing this gospel some 30 years after these events, no one has ever produced Jesus' body to disprove the resurrection because he's alive. And there are dozens, perhaps hundreds, of eyewitnesses still alive as Mark is writing, who could testify to having seen Jesus risen, glorified in his new body. This isn't just a back from the dead experience of someone who was resuscitated and is going to die again. No, this is different. Jesus told the Jewish leaders at his trial that he was the Messiah and that they would see him seated at God's right hand and returning in glory and power. And that has begun. Jesus is the Son of God, just as he said, just as Mark told us in chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Son of God who has conquered death. Can you hear that? He has conquered death. He is Lord of Lords. Hear what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 25:8. He will swallow up death. How long? Forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And what the Lord speaks, the Lord does. He's risen. Second, Jesus keeps doing the unexpected have you noticed that if you're a follower of Christ, he keeps surprising you? Have you noticed that as we've read through this gospel, how unexpected and surprising he is? I love verse 6. Look back there with me, please. The, the angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See that place. Look where they laid him. These Dear ladies, these disciples of Jesus expected to find a corpse. They looked at what should have been death and their expectations were turned upside down by Jesus. This is familiar ground for us. If you have been here through this study, you may remember back in chapter 1 when he was teaching in a synagogue. His teaching was so unexpected that it left the whole crowd amazed. He was on a boat in a storm on the Sea of Galilee with his fishermen disciples and when he rebukes the storm, it unexpectedly obeys him and it leaves his disciples terrified. In response to a barrage of slanderous and false accusations, Jesus refuses to defend himself and Jesus' unexpected silence leaves a Roman governor Stunned. Nobody knows what to do with Jesus. He continually surprises us. So I asked you this morning, how are you affected by his unexpected resurrection? Does it draw simply an inner yawn? Oh yeah, he's alive, I heard that. I know that. Or does it leave us in awe, stunned, astonished? Do you know, lives aren't changed simply by new information. He's risen. That's a fact. It's true. Need to have that information. Lives are changed by seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ in a way that's so arresting that it overwhelms and overcomes our loves and desires for lesser things. And that's how life changes. Can you hear the voice of God this morning from the transfiguration? This is my beloved son. Listen to him, the unexpected one. He's reliable. Third, Jesus is reliable. I love this phrase from the angel in verse 7 just as he told you. He's reliable. There you will see him in Galilee. How do we know? Just as he told you. And I want you to think back what we've heard from Jesus in this gospel. Jesus says this quote, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's killed after three days, he will rise end quote. And he did. Jesus again, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And did he? Yes, he did. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Look around. Look around. Here in Fairfax, 2,000 years later, has it become that? Yes, it has. One of you, Jesus says, will betray me. Another will deny me and all of you will abandon me. Did they? Yes, they did. Hear this. Get this. Everything Jesus predicts comes to pass. Everything Jesus says is true. Everything Jesus promises has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled, or will be fulfilled. So, whoever hears his words and accepts them, puts them into practice, receives them into your heart, you will bear much fruit, for these are reliable words. This is my beloved son, God says. Listen to him. So maybe this would be a good time to ask ourselves this morning. Self, where do I find myself doubting God's word? Where am I sitting in judgment over God's word? Or just marginalizing it and setting it aside in favor of some other words. Brothers and sisters, his words are true words and reliable words. Let us listen to him. Fourth, what do we learn about Jesus in this passage? I love this part. He's planning a reunion. The angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter, that he's going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. Hear that. Can you imagine in that tomb being one of those women come to find Jesus, hearing that he's raised from the dead and then being told, you will see him. They thought they were going to see him dead on the shelf in that tomb. Now they're hearing they're going to see him living Risen, conquered to death, the Lord. They've come to pay their respects to the dead, but now they're promised a reunion with the living. And this includes not only these three ladies, but it includes all the disciples who had left Jesus and fled. And I love that he says, and Peter. Peter was devastated by his denial of the Lord. Can you see the love of Christ here? We heard last week about that veil in the temple, which symbolized the separation that sin had created between God and human beings. We heard that at the cross, that veil was ripped in two. Jesus Christ had opened a way for people to be reconciled, To God and loved by God. Do you know that God's love isn't defeated by the failures of His disciples? Do you know that His love is greater than your failures? Mimi, in her baptism testimony, told us that Jesus Christ is a personal and caring Savior. Yes, He is. She's encountered Christ and by faith she's experiencing his love. I was in a conversation this week with someone who's beginning to read the Bible and, and this person was just sharing with me that, that they'd had a few sleepless nights. and Normally that would have been a time to, to turn to the phone but instead this person opened the Bible and began to read. And through that reading began to experience God's support and kindness and care. Who doesn't want to be loved and loved well? Don't we all long for that? Don't we all long to be loved with a perfect love that would never end? Why are there so many songs about love that doesn't work out? Unfulfilled. Got used, used somebody There's a longing for love in the human heart that is satisfied in Jesus Christ. His love is so great that he's planning a reunion, not just in Galilee for those disciples. He's planning a reunion for the end of time and brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this. You will see him. You will see him. And you will be with him forever. A perfect love that never ends. A perfect love that never cheats, never strays, never disappoints, never gets tired, never forgets, never quits. And never ends. Behold your God. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the Son of God, he's risen. He keeps doing the unexpected. He's reliable and he's planning a reunion. What do we do with this? I told you earlier. I think this this story ends. It's a cliffhanger ending. Where's the sequel? What comes next? Well, you know what the sequel is? It's you. You're the sequel. It's your story now. This story ends with sort of a blank. And you get to write in what you're going to do in response. So I wonder... What will you write? What are you writing? Mark has been so clear throughout the gospel. There are just a few simple ways to respond to Jesus. I'll summarize them under two headings. First, this. What do we do with this good news about Jesus? Well, simply this. Come and follow him. Come and follow him. Do you know... There are A lot of times people say, oh, this changes everything. It gets said about some new product or some new event or something like that. And most of the time, it's not true. But there is one event that really does change everything. And you know what it is? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It really, truly, genuinely changes everything eternally. It changes how you see life. Living and dying. Let me give you an example. Tim Keller, a pastor who recently went home to be with the Lord, at his memorial service, his funeral, there was a program. And in the program was a quote from a man named D.L. Moody. And here's the quote. This is something that D.L. Moody wrote before he died many years ago. Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. Come and follow Jesus. Come and follow the one who has made a way through death. He entered into death in order to conquer death. And in conquering death, he conquered death's sting, which is sin. He has made a way for people like us to be washed and forgiven as we saw pictured in the waters of that baptism today. He has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He has given us a hope of life beyond this life, of a life in a new creation that never ends. How can we have this hope? Jesus says very simply at the beginning of this gospel, repent and believe in the gospel. Nathan told us how to do this today in his wonderful testimony. He said, you know what? I was trying to be a good enough person to be a Christian and then I finally figured it out. That's not how Christianity works. You can't become a Christian by trying to be a good person. He was trying to be kind and caring and he couldn't be good enough. So what did he need to do? He needed to repent from trying to save himself, and as he said, embrace Christ and walk by faith. Have you done that? Do you know that you can't be accepted by God by trying to be a good person? You'll never be good enough. One there is who is good enough, and his name is Jesus. Won't you come to him? Embrace him. He's not asking for your good works. You know what he wants from you? He wants your sin all of it. And he'll take care of all of it at the cross and give you new life and the hope of a life that never ends. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will return to judge the living and the dead. And our church, I love what Mimi said. He's a present help. He's not just out there somewhere. By his spirit, through his word, in his body, he is present to help us run this race. So, brothers and sisters, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Come and follow And let's run hard and let's run with every breath that he gives us to the end of our race or to the end of time, whichever comes first. How should we respond? Come follow him. Let us deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Second, come follow him. Go become fishers of men. That's what he told Peter and Andrew when he, two brothers, that he called to be his disciples. He said, come on, come follow me and I'll teach you how not just to fish for fish, which you already know how to do. I'll teach you how to fish for people and put this good news out so others can hear and respond. You know, Peter and Andrew, we're good fishers for men. We're going to hear Peter's wonderful sermon in Acts chapter 2 in a few weeks But they're gone now. They're not here anymore. Who's got the job of fishing for people today? Who will take up that cause? How can this gospel be taken to the ends of the earth and to all nations? How can we follow Jesus' example and have friends who aren't Christians? How can we break the sound barrier with our friends and tell them about Jesus, This is our opportunity and this is the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of regular old people like you and me. And I wonder as the fall gets going here and school's back in session and neighbors are back in town. And people are coming back to work. And sports teams are getting going. And all these uh, assemblies of different people and relationships in your, your life are happening. I wonder if there are people that God is bringing into your life intentionally. Maybe there's someone you know who isn't really a church person. But she's curious about your faith. Or maybe you have someone you've met in school. Or a neighbor who's mentioned that he used to go to church. Grew up maybe going to church. But doesn't go anymore. Or maybe you have a relative who doesn't identify as a Christian, but likes to talk about religion or religious things. Let me just leave you with one idea this morning, one thought. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. It's intended to help people see and understand who Jesus is. What if you offered to read the Gospel of Mark with someone, just the two of you, one to one? I have a friend who's doing this with his adult sister. They don't even live in the same city but they'd been talking about religion and Jesus and church and and she'd expressed some questions and he said, well, what if we just read a gospel together? And so once a week, they pick up the phone and just talk for 20 or 30 minutes and they read a a section of a gospel together. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be an expert. Just read the word and say, "What, what do we learn about Jesus here? There's a wonderful little book called One to One Bible Reading that David Helm wrote that kind of helps educate you how to do that if you would like to know more about that. And if you think you might know someone who might want to read the Gospel of Mark or one of the other Gospels with you, there's some copies of this one-to-one book that are sitting over here on the stage. They're available to take for free. If you have someone you think you might be able to do that with and you'd like to get one of those books, please grab one of those on your way out. If Jesus rose from the dead. If the tomb is empty, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus has made a way to escape death. Jesus has made a way to be loved perfectly and forever. Do you know that your neighbors are longing for that. Every human being is. just want to encourage you as we start this new school year, ministry year, I want to encourage you just maybe pray and ask God to show you who he might be bringing into your life and how you might be able to just love them as a neighbor and maybe at some point share the good news with them. Make that a matter of prayer at home, maybe in your community group with a trusted friend. Let us go and be fishers of men as we come into this year. Well, there we have it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the good news, who's come declaring the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand because the King has come.